as with the text of the New Testament, it is stunning. We have over 1,500 copies that are within 500 years of Jesus' birth and his life. We have several copies of the partial text which are only a generation removed from Jesus. And in total, we have over 5,300 separate Greek manuscripts and early fragments of partial and fully New Testament codexes, which are literally kind of literally every book put together. 5,300. And yet, the Bible is one of the most criticized and argued against books out there. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Welcome everyone to Night Church. I am so glad that you're here. My name is Philip. I'm one of the pastors here at the University Church and I am blessed that I get to work with young adults. I love you guys. I care for you. If you're brand new to this place, I want you to know I'm on your team for life. I mean that. Um, I have one of my guys who was literally 15 years ago almost uh, in, in my youth group here. So I mean, I'm with people for the long haul. But I also want you to know this is a place where you can meet good friends, make potential friends for life. You might find your wife or husband here. Woo! That would be great. Um, you might find your ex-boyfriend here too. So, you know, you know, it all comes together here. But in Jesus, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and so it's going to be okay. But tonight, before we get to the sermon, I'm really excited to invite someone up on stage with me, Brennan Mejia. Can you give him a round of applause? So I met Brennan a few years ago, and uh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit better recently. And uh, Brennan is someone who is part of this community, and you don't even know it. So I'm really excited, Brennan, that you're here. I'm so stoked that we can have just a little chat together and kind of share a testimony experience interview. And so, Brennan, uh, tell us just first off, how are you connected to this community? Yeah, so uh, thank you for having me here, first of all. Um, my dad sings in the choir. Uh, I grew up in this church. Um, I was born in Redlands, grew up in Marietta, moved back to Redlands after I got married, and uh, yeah, thanks, you know. Coming on seven years, I know, right? Amen. I know, I don't look that old, right? I know, thanks, <laughs> thanks, yeah. Awesome, so Brennan just tells us now, okay, so he grew up in this church, his dad still sings in the choir, I just saw him just the other day. Uh, Brennan's a local here, but also Brennan does something very unique professionally. So Brennan, what do you do? I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I'm an actor and a stuntman. Um, I started off as a circus performer in the Great All-American Youth Circus in Redlands. I perform professionally at corporate events, San Diego Zoo, and then I've gone on um, probably best known for Power Rangers. Um, I was a Red Ranger in one of the seasons. They do a new, a new cast every two years. 
So you may not have seen me as a Red Ranger, but there's like, I don't know, 50 of us now. So, yeah. That's awesome. So now, Brennan is one of our very own, but he chose a career in which God really kind of called you to it. You yeah, said, I didn't choose it. No, yeah, tell no. me, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. So when we were talking, I was just like, wow, you felt so compelled to go into this space. Now, conventionally, many of us think of like Hollywood. Wow, that is the enemy. That's evil, you know? And, <laughs> and it feels you, that way sometimes. So, so tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, uh, I was never like a theater kid. I didn't mean, I, I wasn't watching TV and like, one day I want to be like them. I still can't tell you like the top 10 most famous people. I know like The Rock and Tom Hanks and that's really it. But uh, from, <laughs> from circus, that's where my performing, my love for performing came from. Um, I like physicality. I have a degree in kinesiology. I meant to go into physical therapy, but every time I tried to quit acting, I got pulled back in um, by the grace of God. I still try to quit every once in a while, and I just keep not getting to, in a sense. Um, I live very, acting forces you to be very faith-based hmm. more than a, a conventional job. There's no consistency. Literally, I get hired knowing at the end of the week my contract is done, and I don't know when I'm working again. Wow. And that's like, just my life. Wow. Thankfully, my wife has a consistent job, but. <laughs> Amen, you women out there. Yeah. You don't even know how great you are. So now, Brennan, um, when we were talking, you expressed just that your line of work is so different. And when you said what you said, I was like, well, how different is it? I mean, come on. And then you painted a picture for me. I mean, no one out here for a job is paid to potentially be asked to be in an intimate portrayal with someone, right? I don't know how many of you are asked to do that regularly in your work. As a pastor, I'm never asked to do that, okay? Um, so uh, how does that work when you think about, in essence, being a believer, being a young Adventist guy, and being placed in potentially uh, very challenging, tenacious spaces, yeah. you're married, yeah. and potentially, you know, there might be circumstances of someone might call compromise, whether it's on set or off set. Oh, definitely. It is still a battle, depending on the job. I have turned down jobs in the past for asking too much of things that I felt it, it for me and my wife, we pray about every job individually. We always wow. say audition for it, but if they're offering you the job, then we're going to talk about it. Wow. Then we need to lay it down. Then we need to really get deep with it. Will the director have the ability to change the line on the day or the scene on the day? Like, oh, it didn't say you were kissing, but now it is. Like, you guys cool with that? Like, things change literally moment to moment on set. Mm. So even if we, like, had this plan going in, all of a sudden it's different. Wow. And it's like, okay, is it different enough to where I need to call her and be like, hey, do I need to leave this job? because you're uncomfortable with it. And mm. it's taken a long time to get to that point because before I was like, well, I'm an actor. It's a non-starter. You agreed to this when you married me. And I was very callous and like, again, God softened my heart um, through marriage. And she has just made me a better person. She's not here today because she's studying for an eight hour engineering test tomorrow. But yeah, I know, pray for that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it really is a difficult thing for sure. Um, Again, I can't say there's like a specific, like if you're a Christian, you can never show any romance in a movie or something because obviously like there are other Christians who have to play, or they don't have to, but you know, the job, yeah. it's very hard not to. Like Chris yeah. Pratt is a Christian. He plays roles where he has a love interest a lot of the time. So I say it's really, it's between what God has put on my heart and my wife. And if my mm. wife isn't okay with it, then I don't take the job. That's really what it's come down to at this mm. point. So she's my litmus test with it. I like that. I like that. 
Now, some people, uh, maybe Nilbrand, you might know him from some time back, but for me, it was fun to meet your dad who kind of gives me this background. Oh, Brendan was like this and like this. Now, he told me about how you've been portrayed um, in Hollywood as being like a really upstanding guy. People know you as someone who's a believer at some places and others just know you. This is a really great person. Now, would you say that your faith can be a hindrance when people know you're a person of faith? Has that stifled you? And do you care? Yes and no at the same time. I believe if God wants me to have a role, I will have it regardless. And I'll have it even more likely by trusting in him mm. and actually standing up for what I know to be true. Yeah. It has cost me jobs in the past. Like I mentioned, there was a job that felt too overly sexual that I turned down and it also happened to shoot on my wife's birthday and I was like I you know like that's just like a <laughs> no no so but like it was a big movie had big names in it and like again as a career move it seemed dumb in a secular way to turn it down mm. but in a faith way um yeah I mean I've had because you guys are you familiar with like what a casting couch is have you heard that term before no okay well you shouldn't uh <laughs> so it's Old Hollywood, they hire someone they're attracted to, and if you do certain, like, they, they hit on you, essentially. Casting oh. sometimes can. And it's less prevalent now, mm. but it's still a thing, and it's mm. happened where it's like, hey, kind of like, if you go on this date with me, there's a job kind of feeling. So wow. it's, that is a thing. Um, wow. it, it, it's been years since that's happened to me. That was before I was married. I did not go on the date. But uh, <laughs> it's, thanks. Thanks, I know. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, as different as acting is, all of us have our own battlefields yeah. in life. It's not like mine is necessarily harder. It's more unique. It's harder to find people to discuss the problems I have who are people of faith mm. because a lot of my friends in Hollywood are not people of faith. Mm. And I don't want to not be their friends because I may be the only person connected to Christ that they ever talk to. Wow. And wow. I've had people tell me because like I post on social media, you know, Bible verses or whatever about my faith. And they have asked me questions. It's open doors. And they told me they were saved because of the things I posted that I thought, you know, no one would look at or just like swipe past it really quickly. And like, mm. you don't know the impact you have on people mm. in anything you do and mm. everything you do. Someone is taking note of it, whether you realize it or not. Wow. 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 You know what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is it is worth it to be authentically who God created you to be. And it's also worth it to not be ashamed of your faith, mm -mm. no matter where you are in any public space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can I, any last word that you would tell everyone here? Yeah, I mean, honestly, no matter what you're going through, like if it feels like compromise is the right decision, it's not ever. I mean, regardless of the career field you're going in, whether you're fighting fake monsters on a Power Ranger show in New Zealand, or you're setting for an exam and you know you could cheat because it's online or something because of COVID or whatever, like. God knows, even if whoever it is wouldn't know. Like, mm. there have been times where I've been on sets, and it felt like the women that I was, you know, being their significant other, had I been a different person, would have allowed things to happen that my wife would have never. Like, there's always some way you can compromise. Mm. But it's not just in acting. Like, that happens to people all the time. And yeah. it's, we all, what, uh, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But yes. God is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. So yes. that, like, certain Bible verses always come back to mind. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths because I never know where my path is going I have no idea like literally I wake up and like what am I doing today and like I'll get a call like hey are you available to work on blah 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 job you got to go COVID test in LA like right now um which they do like right now we have to COVID test three times a week on set and drive all the way to LA you can't COVID test up here for some reason I don't understand it but uh it's just what they do but it's really it's like it it it's like Peter, you know, not being called to walk on water as long as you keep looking at God mm. or Jesus. It's boat to boat. Like, I feel like God will call me to, like, one area, and then, like, I'll be there for, like, a month or two, and he's like, all right, time to walk on water again. Mm. Keep looking at me. Now walk mm. over here. Mm. And it's a continuous mm. ebb and flow. And the moment I stop looking at him and I try to rationalize it my own way mm. is when I start sinking and wow. when I start getting anxiety and when I start feeling like I should quit or whatever. Mm. So. You know, what I really admired last time when we talked and had lunch, we, you really, and you're portraying this again, it's just this sense of, Philip, I really wanted to quit. I mean, he literally oh, yeah. told me multiple times, I wanted to quit, and I, and I prayed eagerly that God would reveal, like, okay, here's another door, here's another door, and that God kept that on you. And, and it seems as though what you're just sharing with us now is like, hey, listen, whatever dream God puts in your life, whatever hope he plants in you stay faithful Mm -hmm. to that as opposed to just wandering for the next easy door to open be faithful wherever it is he might call you to be a daniel in babylon he might call you to be uh, esther Uh, truly you don't know what god calls you to do but he will be faithful to always direct you even if it's in hollywood yeah like like you're mentioning the last time i was about to quit was mid-june and i was like okay god I'm getting older, you know, if I want to have kids, I want to have a consistent job where, you know, I can provide or you're ultimately providing, but that was my mindset because I wasn't trusting him. I was like looking at it as the man of the house. I need to have, you know, A, B, and C set before a kid or whatever. And so I prayed about it. I'm like, if I don't book a job by the end of June, I'm quitting. And I know you're a big God. And if you want me to stay here, I want a job that is union, that is a lead role, and I'm not a stunt man because I also do stunt work. Um, and I want it by the end of this month. I'm going to fast. I took a week off from the gym, which is really hard for me. So I fasted from that too. And literally at the end of the week, I got a call from a Canadian agent that I haven't talked to in over a year. And she's like, hey, I know I don't represent you anymore, but there's this movie. They're looking for a Latino guy who's about 30. And I told him, you're the guy. I need you to audition, do a great job. And it's due like tomorrow. So I immediately read a hundred and something page script. I memorized the scene, which was like five pages, got coaching online in the morning and I booked it. And in this movie, it's Bruce Willis, Michael Rooker, Tom Cavanaugh, really big names. And again, I was like, as thankful as I was, I was like, but I was really ready to quit. Like, mm. I kind of want to. But again, like, Man. if God, it's not that I don't like acting, but it's all the, the things we're talking about yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. And knowing that they need to be in contact with God, though, because mm. they don't, you guys get to commune with each other. They don't have that. They commune and they compete and they put on a false facade. Not everyone, of course, and even people in church can do that too. But by and large, there's so much insecurity because they are judged so much superficially and they're told to their face that they're not good because they weren't tall enough or pretty enough or whatever or skinny enough. And it really does a number Mm. on you mentally, psychologically. Mm. At the end of the day, they just want to be loved typically, but they're going after love the wrong way or through the wrong people instead of God. It's a God-shaped hole and only God can fill it. Mm. And oftentimes on set, people will tell me like, there's just something different about you. Like, why don't you drink? Why don't you party? Why don't you blah, blah, blah? And so my whole thing is like preaching the gospel through action. Mm. I don't go up to them and be like, hey, here's my Bible. Can I read it to you? Like, (laughs) you know, it's just me being authentic. And 
knowing like when I open a door for a girl, like I'm not hitting on her. I'm just being, being nice. Yeah. And so yeah. like they, they start seeing that and they start asking, they want to know what in me mm. stays so consistently calm most of the time. And it's when I'm in connection with God. And when I mm. deviate from that, that's when I start looking like them. And if I'm looking like them, something's wrong because we mm. should stand out. Mm. Something should be different about yeah. us. Yeah. Brennan, thank you so yeah. much. That's awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Guys, I just want to pray a blessing over this guy. Heavenly Father, speak into Brennan's life. Jesus, I pray you would continually strengthen him into the spaces that he goes. May he be a vessel, a conduit for the kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would elevate him so that others might see Jesus through him. In your name, amen. amen. Thanks, bro. So my wife and I were on vacation, and it was so good. Oh, man, it was really wonderful. Got to speak at Newbold College, visit some of my family, and then we toured the countryside. And we had one of these moments where my wife was looking for an umbrella, just kind of like these actors were. And uh, she was one of those people that would take the umbrella without the spatial awareness of that others are around her and could use some of that shelter too. And so she would walk off without like me by her side. And so I'm sitting getting rained on. So I really felt like this person here. But you know, sometimes when we talk about vacation, I think some of us have also taken a vacation from the Bible. That was a smooth transition, huh? Yeah. I try, I try. I just got a new Bible too. I love it. It's actually a, a leather Bible. I usually get those really cheap Bibles that kind of like start crackling and then I'm like, man, what am I going to do with this? But you see, it doesn't matter actually how beautiful your Bible is. It doesn't matter how incredibly expensive it might be if it simply finds itself on the shelf and it becomes simply a marker of your Christianity award that you have a Bible. What good is it? If it simply is there just to collect dust, then why don't we just start ripping pages out of it? Don't really need it because you don't really use it, right? Is it that big of a deal? Maybe, why don't I just start chewing on a few pieces here? I could do that. Huh? What good is your Bible if it finds itself simply sitting on your shelf day in and day out and you're on a perpetual vacation from it? You see, the Bible says here in the book of Romans, chapter 15, I want you to kind of pull this up on your phones or if you have a Bible with you and look at this for me just for one moment. Let me find one of the pages that isn't ripped out. I'm totally kidding. I did not rip my Bible. That was a trick. Okay. There's a random page from some other sermon that I don't need anymore. But here it says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The scriptures were written for a purpose for us. You know, I love what Brennan said. He, he said, when I read the word, I was reminded of the word and it brought an understanding of encouragement and hope to me in that moment when I was potentially going to compromise, right? 
Here you saw the actors, they're, they're debating, can I use the map or can I not use the map? Does it seem to be loading? It's not really working. And so uh, forget the map. What good is the map? A lot of us, you know, will fall through this range of, you know, I know I need to have a Bible and it's good for me. And so I'll just kind of pull it out once in a while. Or then there's the range of just, I really actually doubt that it's any benefit to my life. I doubt even if it's a credible and reliable source of truth for us. And some of us even say, okay, maybe it is authentic. Maybe God really did write it through human kind of intervention here, but is it really an authority in my life? I ask you, I ask you this, ponder this with me for a moment. If you believe that you're a believer and you believe that your life should be ordered according to the scriptures, if you do not then choose to order your life according to the scripture, are you a believer or are you simply a relativist? One who might think that there is a God in the sky, but if you would actually have a map for your life, that's debatable. If I should actually use the map, it's debatable. Chad's a good-looking guy up here. And he could lead those girls astray in his own thinking. Let's follow this, let's follow that, let me follow this. But then there's a map that they could have used but didn't. Tonight, I want to kind of go through some of these questions, some of these thoughts. And particularly, I want to hit some things first. Let's look at this idea of, is the Bible actually trustworthy? Because if it is trustworthy, then it deserves more than just simply a space on the shelf, a spot on that nice bookshelf spot that you have right by your bed. It deserves more than just simply the token, let me pull it out, it's Sabbath. And it deserves more than simply a mention once in a while. Barna had a recent survey that was done and they said that two-thirds of individuals believe that the Bible is a divinely inspired book. Two-thirds. So if it is that, let's look and see if it truly is that. I want to start with some criticism. Can we do that for a moment? Newsweek magazine, uh, the magazine that many of us never read but is quoted from sermons, it showed this one interesting article. It was called Rethinking the Resurrection, and it cited a German New Testament scholar, Gerd Luhmann. And uh, he said this, Jesus' bodily resurrection is an empty formula that must be rejected by anyone holding a scientific worldview. The author then of the article, he goes on to say that Jesus' body most likely rotted away in the tomb. And then he ends with, Happy Easter. Wow. Wow. If we're to look to more of the criticism that comes from simply looking at the Bible and its claims, here are some more of the criticisms. The first books of the Bible were written as propaganda, particularly in order to bring all of the Israelites back from Babylon when they were taken there in the 6th and 7th century. So it's kind of like, hey, we need a reason to get these people to move back, actually. The Genesis account is simply borrowed fiction from the Babylonian Enuma Elish. Noah and the flood is like other ancient legends, like the Babylonian Gilgamesh epic, if you ever read that in school. The fact that ancient patriarchs never existed, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were simply, again, 
to promote Jewish nationalism. The books of Daniel and Isaiah are not actually ancient, but are later renditions. The Gospels about Jesus have a source problem, and John is actually anti-Semitic. He's anti-Jewish as the enemy of Jesus. The text about Jesus' resurrection is, again, propaganda, never really happened, nor the virgin birth or his divinity. What do you do with all of these statements of criticism? What do you do when someone comes up to you, you actually believe that? It's one thing to say that you're a Christian. It's another to actually say that you believe in the actual miracles of Jesus. Of miracles of the Red Sea parting and a quarter of a million or more people walking through the Red Sea. It's another thing to say that you actually believe Jesus died on a cross, but then did he do the miraculous on the third day and resurrect? One theologian writes this, and I really think it's actually pretty prominent. And his name is the Apostle Paul. He said this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 through 15. If the Messiah has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised the Messiah whom he did not raise. So you have to realize, if the miracles of Jesus didn't actually happen, everything we do weekend and week out, every day that you kind of pray, you read your Bible, it's for nothing. Paul, theologian here, he tells us it's literally in vain. You're wasting your life. So do you believe that you're wasting your life? And have you built your reasoning on solid facts? Or simply it's based on the fact that, well, mom and dad kind of told me to go to church. I've gone to church all my life. And here I am. I hear the pastor out every weekend. But do you know that when someone challenges your faith that you know it's based on solid evidence? Is it simply that we're walking into faith when we have to say, yeah, the miracles happened. Yeah, the Bible's real. But do you know how to tell someone? Because if you don't actually know, then do you really know why you believe what you believe? I want to tell you, I truly believe this from the bottom of my heart that you're absolutely intelligent human beings. I believe young adults will change the world and are changing the world. I believe that some of you in this room are doing amazing things, but I believe that most of us are lazy. We are incredibly lazy theologically. We're asked to step up to the plate when it comes to doing an exam, and you can study for hours. You can memorize scripts. You can practice all you want on your patients. Oh, I got the patient care test down. I'm going to get it. Is that a test? I'm making that up. I don't know. You can get the math, the physics, the, the finance. You can get it all down. Oh, I got it perfectly. I studied for this. I know this. But when I ask you, why was Daniel written when it was said to be written? And that you can actually believe that it's an authentic book of the Bible. And the prophecies that are predicted there actually do foretell the future. And weren't just written 500 years later after the events all happened. Is there a reason why you believe that? And some of you are like, dude, that's way too technical. Oh, is it? Is it too technical if you base 
everything in your life on Christ and you say you're a believer and yet you're like, dude, I just, I just believe a simple faith. Jesus died for me on the cross and I am saved. And I will tell you, brother and sister, you will be saved. But guess how many people won't be? Because you didn't have a word when Paul said, be ready in season and out of season to give a defense for your faith. And so I tell you now, it's time we stand up from the lazy chair, the lazy boy and girl. Is there a girl, a lazy girl? No, it's not a lazy I don't even have one of those. I don't even know how to use that. But it's time for each one of us to step up from those spaces of apathy when it comes to our faith and step into a space of intelligence. Because I believe that Christians should be some of the most intelligent thinkers out there. For many centuries, they were known as that. And I believe that you are intelligent, incredible human beings. But I think it's now time for us to step up to the next level of intelligence for our faith. And so I want to give you a few reasons why I believe that the Bible is a credible source of reliability as a map and guide for your life. So here, check this out. There is something that's called textual criticism. It's the study of comparing text from ancient sources. It's, for instance, like this. I have this Bible. It was literally published in 2021. But if I want to prove that what's written in this Bible is actually valid, I have to go back and collect every found source of the Bible throughout the centuries. And then I have to compare them, one from the other. Did they mess up? Because that's the argument. Most of the time it's, oh, dude, you can't believe the Bible. Are you kidding me? This is what's always said. You can't trust the Bible. Every time someone wrote it, they made mistakes, they added stuff, they changed things. Dude, they probably deleted huge portions and they made up the miracles. Are you kidding me? That really happened baloney. And so how do we know that it really happened? Let me give you a few ways of going through this. So here's an example. My aunt Nanette has this incredible elixir potion that she makes that gives her the most amazing look. And she's like 85 years old. And she concocts this thing and she puts on the cream every night. She gave my mom the recipe. She wrote it out, sent it to my mom. My mom has it. She sent it to three of her girlfriends. And those girlfriends were like, wow, Lella, you look good. I'm doing it too. And so then they did it too and sent out the elixir recipe to their girlfriends. And finally, it was just doing so well, they sent it to theirs. But now the problem is my Aunt Annette, she has this funny dog that loves chewing paper. And he jumped up one day and grabbed her recipe and chewed it all up. And she had just a portion of it left. Literally just half of it. She's like, how am I going to make this again? I'm going to call Ella, Philip's mom. I'm going to ask her to send me the recipe. And maybe she can send me the recipe from her girlfriends and we can get it and look and analyze, textually criticize, every available text that's out there. And so 26 ladies sent the text to her and they all analyzed every copy and they found that three of them had some misspellings of words. Two of them had words kind of put in different orders. One of them even had a completely different ingredient in there. And that lady wasn't getting the youthful look. <laughs> but when she got all of the recipes, 
she could do what? Remake her original. Because she found that there were just a few misspellings. Those could be easily corrected. The words that were switched over, she easily understood what to do with that. And the one that threw in that random item, she just threw it out because it obviously didn't work. And so that's the same thing that happens when critical scholars will analyze Scripture for its authenticity. They will take copies that were written hundreds of years ago, looking at other copies that are removed from them by hundreds of years. And they compare the original sources. The Bible was written over 1,500 years. Three different languages. Ancient Aramaic, actually in portions of the book of Daniel. But for the Old Testament, it's primarily in ancient Hebrew. And then the New Testament, written in Greek, ancient Greek. Similar to modern day Greek, but they really couldn't understand each other if they tried to speak it. So you have these three different languages that are now intermixed. And then you had people who copied it and put it into their languages. The Tyndale Bible, one of the first ever written in the modern day English. Listen to why Tyndale wrote it in English. I thought it was just so brilliant in the reasoning that he gave. You see, people needed it in their own language for a reason. Listen to this. Tyndale wrote that I want every boy that drives the plow in England to be able to read and understand the Bible. The significance of that statement you don't really fully comprehend because you and I have access to it in our own languages. But the thing is, in that time period, the only person that could read it would read it in a foreign language that they never understood. What good would that be? So now you have different languages. You have the original Greek and Hebrew, some portions in Aramaic. And these scholars literally gather all the texts and they will begin analyzing them. But now, that's great. So they're going to analyze the text. They'll collect all the copies they can. But how do you know it's authentic? This is where we now get to this point. Listen to this. A few, a few of the copies of ancient documents, for instance, like the Iliad of Homer. Anyone ever watched Troy and you saw that incredible good-looking man? What's his name? Brad Pitt? Making his moves? Well, if you actually ask someone, do they believe that the Iliad is an authentic source that's reliable, most people and historians would say, absolutely. But you see, the Iliad is probably one of the most divided copies from its actual authorship. The earliest copy of the Iliad that we have is 900 years removed from its authorship. Now, there are over 600 copies of it, and so scholars believe that it is pretty much an authentic source, but it's 900 years. For instance, there's other copies of ancient texts that we have that people never argue about. For instance, we have seven copies of Plato's that are all dated over a thousand years from its original source. We have 10 copies of, Siri, of, of, of Caesar's Gaelic Wars. No one argues about that. We have Tacitus's Annals of Imperial Rome, one of which is the chief historical sources for the Roman world of the New Testament times. Yet, surprisingly, that one survives only in partial form in two manuscripts all the way from the Middle Ages, meaning there's almost over 1,600 years from it. And yet, no one argues that it's true. Now, let's talk about the Bible. 
How many sources of the Bible do we have? And how many are close to the authorship? Listen to this. As with the, the text of the New Testament, it is stunning. We have over 1,500, 1,500 copies that are within 500 years of Jesus' lineage. And, and I should say, Jesus' birth and his life. We have several copies of the partial text which are only a generation removed from Jesus. And in total, we have over 5,300 separate Greek manuscripts and early fragments of partial and fully New Testament codexes, which are literally kind of literally every book put together. 5,300. And yet, the Bible is one of the most criticized and argued against books out there. Now the question you and I have to ask ourselves is why? Why is it that people do not want to have the Bible to be an authentic, reliable source of truth for you and for me? Why? Why when all of these other ancient manuscripts are so far removed from their authorship, when we have so many of the Bible's actually reliable sources that are put together literally a few generations from Jesus, but they say, nah, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know about that. I think it's a, because of a worldview difference. A worldview difference. What do I mean when I say a worldview difference? Let me explain this to you. There are three kind of eras that existed in the world. I'll call them in the most basic form, the pre-modern, modern, and post-modern eras. In the pre-modern era, you had a worldview in which it was pretty ancient. People believed in different gods. Everyone believed in gods. Everyone. I mean everyone. To not believe in a god, you were thought to be an idiot. How could you not believe in a god? Everyone believes in them. In this era, you had the main world religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. But then you also had pagan understandings. These were other faith groups that were of not the mainline sources. These were the Roman, the Greek, and other European tribes, and some of the Asian countries. In each of these places, they all believed in gods. Now, this was way, way back. But now if you continue throughout history, then a different worldview emerged. And I'm in my professor kind of mode for a moment here, so stick with me. Then there was this emergence of modernism. And this happened some seven to 800 years ago, following then the Renaissance and then after the Protestant Reformation and then rationalism and the Enlightenment period. This was when people looked and said, wait a second, let me take a second look at religion because everything that it's telling me I don't know if I believe it because if I start doing imperial, empirical science, I'm doing everything based on observation. And so they started to question the miracles, started to question everything that was written in the text that deal, dealt with Jesus being divine. Was he really born of a virgin? That sounds ridiculous. Did the Israelites literally get food thrown from the sky? That sounds crazy. And all of these things started to pour in. And then you had the emergence in our time Postmodernism. Now we live in a world in which we have relativism reigning. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You can't argue with my truth. Don't mess with that. 
because it's for me. But then it begs to ask the question, well, what's truth if you can have your own and I can have my own? If you can have your truth and it completely contradicts mine, what can I say? I remember one mom who was really pissed when she got a letter from the school that said they were changing the bathrooms and anyone could enter the bathroom no matter what gender they are. And she said, you don't understand, Philip. My daughter talks with people who are 53 years old and they're males, but they are chatting with her and they say that they're little girls. I don't want someone like that walking into their bathroom because that's their truth, but it is completely messed up. I was like, whoa, I guess you're right. You see, that's the world we live in. Now no longer are we in a postmodern world. We're also in a post-Christian world where there is no longer absolute truth. We decide for ourselves what we want to be true. And so when someone looks at the Bible and they say, hey, is this an authentic source of faith? Yeah, maybe for you, but not for me. And so what do you do then? Okay, maybe this is a reliable source of history. Okay, Pastor Phil, fine. You explained that all these things, it goes back to the authorship and the texts match up. Okay, fine, fine, fine. But what do you do in a postmodern relativistic world when everyone says, well, my truth is mine and yours is yours. And then they think that I'm trying to impose my truth on them. Is that okay? Is that okay? Absolutely. And I'll tell you why. Because if we're going to stand up for anything as believers, you need to stand up for something that you believe in to be true. Either something is true and then other things are false. Now, I'm not telling you you need to be out there swiping people with your Bibles and hitting them over your head. But there is absolutely a need for people to say that there is something that's true and something to be false. Either Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day, or he didn't. There's no middle ground. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote when he said this. He writes the following. If I can find it here. No, I can't find it. Oh, here we go. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it is of infinite importance the only thing it cannot be is moderately important does that make a difference to you either it means something or it doesn't the notion of it being kind of like yeah maybe that doesn't matter i want to take you to a bible text and why i think that when you share the scripture It is so important that you emphasize its significance with people. Turn with me to a passage in 2 Timothy. And here, Timothy writes something that's just so, well not Timothy, Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, something that's so worthwhile for you and I to consider. In chapter 3 and verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is therefore God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the point. If you truly believe that Jesus died and rose on the third day, if you truly believe that the scriptures are an authentic source of knowledge, then they're also a source of knowledge of salvation. And if that's true for you, and if you don't share that, what does that mean for the person to your left and to your right who completely differ with your worldview and understanding and call the Bible, eh, eh, I don't know. Friend, the scriptures talk about it over and over. That there will come a day that everyone, every single one of us will need to bow a knee and look up and say that Jesus is Lord. But the reality is that some who have to do that will do that without having been caught with him in the sky because they're those who are left and will remain here and perish. We don't really talk about the judgment very often in Adventist circles these days. We don't really talk about the judgment and the reality that some people who choose to reject Jesus on very convicted grounds are missing out on eternity. But the reality is that that is the reality. If the scriptures claim that, that that means that will happen. You and I can't simply pick what we want when it comes to the Bible. Well, I just believe in the New Testament. I just believe in the teachings of Jesus. Praise Jesus. Well, if you praise Jesus, he also says he will come one day with a sword and will divide. And that means then when you and I say we believe and believe in a God of love who is merciful, ever forgiving, gracious, and compassionate, it also means that love that you and I have for him and that he has for us is worthy enough for you and I to take the risk to share with other people in our life. Some people will be drawn to Jesus simply out of fascination and entertainment. Capitalize on that. I remember going to Jerusalem and then going to the place where Jesus was baptized and I'm on this tour with my wife and several others who I didn't even know, we were going to the place where Jesus got baptized. And there I was with an Indian fellow and, and his family, and they were wonderful people. And I said, oh, are you guys Christians going there? Oh, no, 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 no. We just thought it would be interesting. And they bought literally white robes because they were going to get baptized in the water because it, they thought it was almost a kind of an attraction. Oh, this is what you guys do, Right? And I wanted to just give him a little Bible study and say, do you believe in Jesus? Because we will do the real thing, brother. I'm a pastor. I'm ordained to do this. But whatever place and space that you're in with friends and colleagues and family members, this is a space in which we have to capitalize on, A, we personally submit to the gospel. But then secondly, we got to spend time with the gospel, Jesus, in the map, in the place of your ordained order. Hey, it is called for you and me to spend time with our maker. And it isn't a sense of guilt that I'm trying to give anyone. Because listen, my wife gives me guilt for not spending time and quality time with her sometimes. 
I'm like, dude, you're always gone in the hospital and you're working and now you want to, do- I have to do this. And there's this sense of guilt that I have, but it's, it's only because I yearn to also spend time with her. And so when people talk about, oh man, I feel so guilty not reading the Bible, it doesn't come from a space of negativity, but rather it's like your heart is yearning to be with him as well. Use that conviction. Use that conviction and just pray, God, I'm struggling to spend time with you. I'm struggling to be in the word with you. God, I'm struggling, Jesus, but I want to commune. Let's spend time together. And it can be in those moments that that guilt, that conviction can beckon you to a new beginning with him. But then lastly, there has to be the conviction. If this is a reliable source, if it is the authority of Jesus in your life, then it's also not only you submit, not not also do you spend time with him, but then also you have to share about him. It's the necessity of the believer. Sometimes the opportunity will come really openly. Other times, really in strange ways, or maybe it's just simply how you're living your life. I remember one time being in Hawaii, and we're jumping off this rock, and I've shared this story before. And I'm climbing up on this rock, and it's pretty high, and there are people that are up there, and they're like scared, and they're holding onto the rock, and I don't don't know if I can go up further. I, I don't know. This is weird. And then I'm all the way up there, finally, and there's this one girl. She's just freaked out. And she's like, I don't know if I can do this. I was like, you can do it. I believe in you. I'm kind of giving her that, you know, you can do it speech. And then I just got, got this tinge of, of apostle evangelist moment. And I said, sister, have you put your life in Jesus' hands yet? <laughs> I said, if you haven't, do that now because you don't know what will happen at the bottom. <laughs> And so I jumped off and I said, just pray about it. And I never saw her again. But I might see her in heaven. (laughs) Friends, I want you to be such passionate evangelists for the gospel, whether it's in a weird way like I did or in other ways. I want you to be those kind of people that take the gospel seriously. There is no maybe mediocre level. If he rose from the dead, then he's your Lord. And if he's your Lord, it beckons you to be so serious as well. Salvation is at stake. Take him seriously. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.